The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, still dusting the cobwebs out of my brain after that little break we took between seasons. But today's guest made it easier to get back into the swing of things. Jim Tolbert is no stranger to the show. Our official first three-peat guest, he's a giant in the eco-right world, and he's coming at you with a new and exciting project. Based on the principle of personal responsibility, Jim launched Commit, spelled C-O-2-M-M-I-T, dot org, which reflects his belief that personal responsibility can be empowering and effective. He's going to share with us what inspired him to found Commit, what his intentions are with the group, and how you can join him. Listeners, Jim Tolbert is coming up next. Listeners, welcome back and welcome to the show. Our very first three-time guest, longtime friend of RepublicEN.org and huge person in the eco-right, Jim Tolbert. Jim, so nice to see you. Great to be back. So listeners, as I as I teased you earlier, Jim, who I sort of think of as an eco-right entrepreneur, has a new venture, Commit the silent two in the middle, CO2 MIT. I just think that's so clever. I don't know how you came up with that, Jim. Maybe you can share that with us, but tell us what made you come up with this new um, idea and how's it going? Yeah. So, so I've, as you say, I've been on your show twice before representing organizations that are really working hard with members of Congress to try and get legislation passed so that we have a rational framework for dealing with our CO2 emissions in this country. And we need that. Uh, We've needed it for 30 years and we've known we've needed it for 30 years. And um, I am still going to continue working on that. Uh, In the meantime, though, I have, I have uh, really put on my hat and said, it's been 30 years. I don't think it's going to happen. This legislative framework, I think we'll get some incremental bills passed that'll be really important and they'll, they'll be powerful. And, and in the next session of Congress, it will probably be split. I don't think we'll get landmark legislation to give us a broad framing legal framework to manage CO2 appropriately. Um, and I want to be, I want to control what I have control of, and that's my actions. And so I wanted to make a personal commitment to to take that approach. I'm going to control what I can control in this environment. And that's my actions. I can control, I can reduce my emissions through a lot of actions I take. I can also influence the groups that I'm part of, which includes this country, which is why I'm working on federal legislation at the same time. Uh, but I, but I think it's imperative that we, from a, from a moral perspective, it really hit me hard to say, I can't wait for the government to tell me to reduce my emissions when I can take those actions today. I can I can take actions today that I'm trying to get legislation that will help encourage me to take. But there's no reason for me to wait for that legislation to pass for me to take those actions. 
Well, right. When has any of us ever waited for the federal government to tell us to do something before we do it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it's conservative to want to conserve. And part of this effort is to conserve, right? So you're conserving your use of fossil fuels. And um, I know you and I have bonded a little bit over some of the personal choices that we have made, but I thought maybe you could share a few with our listeners of the, the steps you personally and your family has taken. Yeah, I, I want to tie into a thread you said there on conservative thought. Um, for me, a lot of conservative thought is accepting personal responsibility for my actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, with great liberty comes great responsibility. Uh, and, and to me, that is a lot of what commit is about, uh, though there's so many other layers of why it's important. Uh, so some of the things we've done, uh, we, we put solar panels up a few years back. Uh, we sized it so we could get an electric car. At the time, we had an internal standard internal combustion engine and a hybrid. Uh, since then, we've swapped out our internal combustion engine car for an EV. So now we have a, an EV that is powered off our oversized solar panels and a hybrid. Uh, for our automobiles. Um, and I am really committed to trying not to fly, uh, though Though I just, I will admit, I flew earlier this year out to Arizona, but I spent two weeks. Once I was flying, I was going to make the most out of that half a ton of CO2 emissions that mm-hmm. I caused. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've restructured my diet for that includes some health reasons, um, as I watch my cholesterol numbers as I age. Uh, but switching out of meat products has a huge impact on the CO2 emissions that I caused from my diet. And even just the simple act, if you don't, if for people that don't want to go that far, uh, eating pulled pork instead of beef, like if, if you want good pulled pork, you need to come to North Carolina. I know some people <laughs> might disagree with that, but in Western North Carolina, we've got great options. And just switching away from eating remnants and relying on remnants as our main source of meat protein um, has an impact. Like we can make these changes. And anybody that tells me that eating pulled pork versus a hamburger is downgrading their life, I, I don't think has tried good pulled pork. So, you know, I'm not a vegetarian, but we don't eat a lot of meat in my house. Um, my older son has given up beef as you have. And and so my personal rule that I have just made is that I'm going to buy it from the farmer's market where I know it is sourced locally. And I know that they do rotational um, pasturing of their cattle. And um, But as a substitute, we have embraced Impossible Burgers. And let me tell you, listeners, if you want the best rub, I have this rub, like this dry rub that I put on the Impossible Burgers and it gets a good like sear on them. And my kids, not that they can't tell, but they're like, we like this better. And we don't have that loggy sort of gross feeling after you have a delicious cheeseburger. We all get in a little bit of a food coma. Um, so anyway, on, on the diet front, there are things and unlike you, I've got a little bit of high cholesterol thing I'm dealing with. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there, there can be two reasons for doing all of these, you know, making some of these choices. And like you, I am about to get solar panels. They'll be installed this fall. And for me, that was, you know, a way that I could walk the talk. (laughs) And um, my 12 year old Prius, um, you know, was cutting edge when I got it, but you know, I'm not, I'm not eager to replace it until it needs to be replacing. And I come from a family where people tend to get a new car every three years and it just makes my head explode. Like what was wrong with your old car? We are such a disposable society sometimes. And 
So yeah, there are little things. And, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this to listeners before. I have friends who are very, um, you know, eco-conscious like this. And every year they take on a new thing, a new way to change their lifestyle. So they recognize you can't do it all at once. And so for example, they, and we do this at my house too, switch to not using any plastic water bottles and they re have their, um, refillable water bottles that they take with them everywhere. So I travel with mine when there's travel, <laughs> there hasn't been a lot the last couple of years, but, um, even if I'm just running errands in the car, I always have my, my water bottle with me it stays nice and cold water stays nice and cold. Um, but they will bring Tupperware to a restaurant if they eat out so that they can bring any leftovers home in their own Tupperware and eliminate that instance of single use plastic. And, um, so, you know, just kind of picking on something every year, piggybacking another step on, or maybe you could do one a month, right? You pick one, get used to it that month, add another thing the next month so that it doesn't feel overwhelming. Yeah. You know, one thing I'd encourage people to do is, is to, run the numbers on your on your uh, emissions. Uh, it's a it's a really interesting exercise. All the tools out there are imperfect. Uh, they are estimates of your emissions, but they're informative, uh, kind of like good models. They're imperfect, but informative. Uh, and uh, Berkeley's put out a really good one, Cool Climate Network, um, that's, that's pretty easy to find. There's a link to it on the commit.org website. Um, but it's really interesting to run the numbers and just kind of go, oh, look, that's that's intriguing what what this estimator wants to attribute to my to emissions to me and, and where my biggest pieces are that I can look at and kind of say, oh, that's a big piece. I think I want to take a chunk out of that one or find out how to reduce that one and, yeah. and use that as a guide to saying what might what what action might I consider? Um, I, in, another interesting note, like on the solar panels. A lot of this uh, can be viewed, I, I, you know, some people view it as, oh, you just don't want me to do things. Um, most of the things I'm doing, I, I enjoy more and I get money back from them. My solar panels, I'm getting a payoff on. Um, even before the tax credits, I'm making money over the lifespan of my solar panels on my solar panels. Um, so the, the reduction in the combination of the reduction in my electric bill and with oversizing and not having an EV, I, I have no gas bills. Like I buy, we buy very little gasoline. Um, so all of that together, uh, reduces costs that, that you can, that you can run your own calcs. I'm going to do a blog post on mine to let people see how it worked out for me. Uh, but, but we're not, it, not everything is talking about sacrifice, just reprioritizing and accepting responsibility for my emissions. Yeah. Well, and you had said, you know, you'd contrast this versus trying to get federal policy passed. And, you know, you and I have both been working on that for a long time. You said we've known for 30 years. I'm going to challenge you and say, we've known for more like 40 or more that we needed to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. I Actually, I'm writing a book right now on the history of the politics of climate change. And LBJ was briefed on how increased fossil fuel use was going to cause sea levels to rise and add you know, more intense hurricanes and all the things we're seeing now by the year 2000. So that was the first he was the first president to hear of this. There were plenty of studies between Nixon and Carter in the 70s on this matter and 
Yeah, I kind of put a, a zero date zero for James Anderson <laughs> testifying to the Senate, uh, which is well over 30 years ago. Yeah, and also yeah. the IPCC forming when the IPCC formed and put out their first assessment report, it was a summary of all the available peer-reviewed science. It wasn't like they were creating this peer-reviewed piece. It was a summary of the peer-reviewed science. And that was over 30 years ago. So, so it, it's clearly over 30 years. I just use that. You can't really refute for 30 years, but I can, I could see some people pushing back on 40 for, did we really have consensus <laughs> on it? Um, was it really in the public's mind? Was it in members of Congress's right. knowledge? Were there Senate committees that had heard testimony on it? Um, I think 30 it was, years ago, um, there were Senate committees that had already heard testimony on this. Yeah. Now continue on the Eco Rights Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. And these things that we do, they're not a substitute for trying to get the congressional action. They're a supplement and they're things, you know, I admit, and I've talked about this before on the show, to feeling a sense of eco-anxiety, right? Like the problem feels really overwhelming. It's frustrating that we don't have consensus uh, with congressional leaders, I think that the polling of Americans from both parties is very clear that there is bipartisan consensus for action. That message isn't filtering up to the lawmakers who have the power to do something, but I can feel overwhelmed with the lack of, of action. And so this is a way for me to feel better about myself, right? I can take my personal responsibility, as you said, and, and accept that personal responsibility. And with, what did you say? With um, great power comes great. Wait, you had a good great, quote. Great freedom, great liberty. Great freedom. With liberty comes liberty. responsibility. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I do think, so the, the, like two things, the guilt or the sense of being overwhelmed. I think both of those are really interesting to explore because they can push on you. They can go, oh, my contribution is going to be so small. Uh, but I think it's in, it's really healthy anytime you feel that in your life to flip the script and say, I am an individual that can make personal decisions. What decisions can I make that are consistent with my beliefs on any subject you're dealing with and start making those decisions? And part of that is advocacy, it's certainly. Uh, but But the advocacy alone is not accepting responsibility and not dealing with, I'm still causing emissions. And I, you know, there's just no reason for me to wait for the federal government um, to, to tell me that. And I, I got a good, like an example of uh, that, I, that has really struck me hard. Um, so my favorite policy is a, is a price on carbon emissions. Uh, as we've talked about before, I, I, I was on here representing and pitching CCL, which is, is their focus point. And, I, and I'm still supportive of the work that they do great work. Um, as, as you look at putting a price on carbon, so one of the, one of the uh, dream trips that I'd like to take again is getting back to the mountains in Ketchum, Idaho, uh, where my dad took me and where he grew up and spent time in the mountains. And, and for me, living in Asheville, it, it's a double flight error thing in the Boise and then a car. Um, and that's, it's, about a, it's about a ton of CO2 for my wife and I to get there. It's also about $800 in the in the airplane plane ticket plus you know another few hundred bucks that's going to go on the rental car um and and some good bucks to get out a, a room to stay in up and catch them if you put a hundred dollar a ton for, C, for co2 emissions price on carbon that increases my airfare by a hundred bucks 
the budget that I'd have for that trip, a hundred bucks wouldn't dissuade me one way or the other. If I think that a hundred dollar a ton CO2 uh, price on carbon is going to change my behavior, I'm fooling myself. I need to make a decision to change my behavior. And I can do that very simply by just targeting in my mind saying, I live in the Appalachian Mountains. There are some gorgeous parts of, of the Appalachian Mountains. My wife and I just spent our honeymoon, uh, our anniversary, sorry, at uh, in Blowing Rock, which is a gorgeous area. There's there's so many things we can do within a four-hour car drive and not emit that ton of carbon. But it just takes me reframing to say, I can enjoy a week in Blowing Rock as much as I can enjoy a week in Ketchum. And I might want to return to Ketchum uh, but I'm going to set my goals on other things that I will enjoy equally much and say, I'm going to be, I'm just going to reset my goals there. And, and part of that shift in what I want to do is because I know it's going to cut a full ton out of my CO2 emissions for that year. Yeah, no, I, I love how you frame that. And, you know, the, these are things to take into consideration. And so I'm curious, you you launched Commit last last month, right? In this June? month, July this 5th. month, July. Okay, so you just launched. So y- you're asking people to um, to commit themselves to taking this action. What is there some other thing you're going to do? Are you creating a community where people can share their different ways that they're um, they're exercising their personal responsibility? Is there going to be some greater ask or some greater presentation that this is what fellow citizens are taking on? Yeah. So I, I really am asking people to make a personal commitment and to the, on the, on the website, CO2MMIT.org. Uh, there is a button where you can commit and just sign up. It is, it is a, it is, I am not enforcing. I'm not like going out and checking your energy bills. What? It is You're a not? Personal commitment. <laughs> um, so, so it, uh, but it is a commitment. I really, I really want people to internalize that they're making a commitment to reduce their CO2 emissions, even if next year's might be a little higher because whatever, they have family in Texas they have to see next year. But in the long run, you're going to bring your CO2 emissions down. There is also a Facebook group and a, and a Twitter handle, both at CO2MMIT, um, that where, where I've, I'm hoping to engage people in conversations on their behavior and on and on what's going on. There's a there's a blog element to the uh, CO2MMIT.org to the website, and I've already had one guest uh, blog uh, up on the website, and um, plan to have more blogs where I share some quantitative information like travel. I just I put one up on looking at my tr- current travel to Michigan and evaluating different uh, CO2 emissions, but also having uh, guest guest writers, Jacob Miller, uh, a, a good friend of the EcoWrite, just uh, uh, put up a blog post on, on being comfortable with being uncomfortable and taking a solid look at his own emissions and kind of a, a very introspective look at, uh, at what, what his, his life's emissions are and, and really encouraging people to wrestle with it, to, to own it, to be, to, to, uh, to, to own it. I have some other guest blogs from people that, uh, that, that those on this podcast will know, but I, but I'm, I'm not going to spoil the surprise from seeing who, <laughs> who will have a guest post on the blog. And I'm open to if people, if people want a guest blog that it's, uh, you know, the, the blogs are in 800 to 1800 word format, uh, where, where, where then 
we can also, you know, sharing just, uh, hey, I had a, this is my vegetarian meal I just ate out, uh, or I just walked to this restaurant. I shared a post on my wife and I like to walk to restaurants near us as opposed to getting in the car. We love not getting in the car and going places. You know, um, I, I love getting, getting, not getting in the car and going places too. And um, I live in a community where I don't have a walkable restaurant or anything, which always makes me a little bit sad, but um, I have found that there are friends in my neighborhood who I used to just, my default was to drive to their house and I've started walking. And that really started during the pandemic when I felt like I was spending all my time staring at a screen and I needed to get out and let my eyes focus on something that was farther away. And now it's just my habit. And so things take time and, and we can't always beat ourselves up about it. If, you know, if I have to buy a bottle of water, I buy the bottle of water. I'd rather buy the bottle of water than dehydrate. But, you know, we have, I think it's the effort you get, you get effort points. And so doing what you can and, and things do become habitual over time. You know, you need to um, practice a little every day. So it's practicing, reducing our carbon emissions, and then we hopefully are all going to get really good at it. And, you know, I'll just add for those people that want systemic change, I think you become a better advocate uh, for two reasons. One, you're walking the talk. Um, when you go into your member of Congress or your local city official or your state member of Congress and talk with them and you've driven an electric car in or you can tell, you know, you can share with a member of Congress, you just got solar panels up or whatever your piece is, whatever change you're making, um, you can show them that you are actually so concerned that you are willing to take personal actions as opposed to just asking the member of Congress to write some legislation so everybody has to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Um, and I also think you get more emotionally bought into it. Um, once you start saying, I'm taking these actions, uh, you internalize, this is important to me. And I think it can help keep you focused on the advocacy side, uh, which is also important. For sure. So listeners, that's C-O-2-M-M-I-T-T dot org. One T. One T. Oh my gosh. One T. Jeez. I'm going to say that again, C-O-2-M-M-I-T dot org. Um, I can spell, trust me. Um, if you want to make your own personal commitment and maybe you want to write a blog post, maybe you want to um, share with the world what you have been doing. You know, we're all inspired by each other's efforts. And I think that sharing stories like this is important. And I thank you for your continued enthusiasm and engagement in all the ways of trying, you know, we've got to hit at this from all different angles. So um, appreciate you and all that you do to um, help us try to carve out a better world in the future. Thank you. Thanks for these podcasts. I enjoy listening to the guests you bring up. Price, I haven't talked to you in so long. It feels like you've been so busy arranging events for Bob and all his travel and then all the complications that happen with travel and weather and airports being what they are these days. So it's just really nice to be sitting down with you and having this little chat. Idaho, Idaho, baby. We spent the week last year out there, or the last last month, or last week. What am I saying? I'm all <laughs> I'm all discombobulated because Bob has been on the road. It was Indiana, then Idaho. Bob was out there all last week. Um, was supposed to we had we did have travel issues. Supposed to go Sunday, didn't go till Monday. Had to unfortunately postpone an event. Supposed to come home Thursday, didn't get home till Friday due to cancellations. It was a whirlwind, but I cannot thank uh, all the folks that made last week such a huge success in Moscow, 
uh, Idaho, then out in Yakima, Washington State, and then coming back uh, toward Idaho, ending up in Boise for a day and a half before Bob Jett set it home and looking forward to getting back out there again soon. So, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the week last week uh, with uh, Bob activity, speaking engagements, and connecting with a lot of folks in an area that uh, we see is very important to climate action and moving forward to, to getting this thing done, Chelsea. And meanwhile, here at home, I was in conversation this week, as listeners know, with Jim Tolbert, such a good friend of the EcoRight, and I love his entrepreneurial spirit. He's always, you know, trying out something new, some other way to reach people, and it was a pleasure to talk with him about his new um, commit.org project. Yeah, it was great to have Jim back on. I think Jim is, what, the only... Is he the only three-time guest we've ever had on, on the EcoRight yep. Speaks? He is our only three-peat. A three-peat. Jim, you take the... Triple pres- crown? Yeah. Does he get the triple crown? He can have the triple. <laughs> he certainly can have that triple crown. Is the only three-time uh, guest on the EcoRight Speaks in five seasons. So way to go, Jim. And more than anything, thanks to him and you know for his time, but also his friendship. Because you, you mentioned he's always trying to think outside the box, come up with new ideas, different ways to help get this thing done. And, you know, I know we all, especially our entire team at Republican.org, we really appreciate and love uh, the work that Jim is doing, no matter which organization he's a part of, where he's at, or or how he may may be getting it done. Jim is a good friend and will always continue to be. Absolutely. And so um, I have an earnest question for you. Yes. You, when you were rattling off the Idaho cities, you said Moscow and not Moscow. And I'm wondering if they pronounce it differently in Idaho or do you just pronounce it differently? I am pronouncing it the way I heard it and was told from folks that live in Moscow. So Interesting. I don't okay. want I don't want to confuse it with Moscow. I used to say Moscow. Maybe that's the southern in me to say Moscow, Moscow, Idaho that way. But in a lot of planning calls with a lot of great people, that is the pronunciation I picked up. And so if I'm going to sound a little bit more like I'm I'm from there, then I'm going to go with Moscow. And I yeah, never th- I, I, ne- think I never thought I would to- be pronouncing it that way. But it is you- uh, Moscow. But- you have to pronounce things the way that people want them to be pronounced, like names and towns. So I was just curious, and now I know, and I will never pronounce it Moscow, Idaho. Well, I appreciate there were a lot of folks to help make it happen. I can't go through all the people that um, was. it really was weeks and months in the planning stages and thank a lot of people led by Tim Deck and uh, several others that helped uh, plan that trip out to, to Moscow, Moscow, excuse me, in Idaho, and then into <laughs> eastern Washington State, Yakima, which is kind of getting toward the central part of the state, and then obviously back uh, back to, to Boise where Adam Novak helped lead the charge. So really appreciate a ton of people. I don't want to go list off every single one that helped us, but there were a lot of folks, and if they're listening, they know who they are. We, we could not have done it uh, without them. I do want to give a shout-out to some of our new members, and I got five folks all from Idaho who have signed up to stand with us at Republican.org, which you can do so as well at Republican.org forward slash join. Uh, it takes all of seconds, but I want to shout out to Donald H. in Boise, Shelly M. in St. Anthony, John B. in Moscow, Jim M. in Garden City, and Kiera H. in Homedale, all from the great state of Idaho. Really appreciate them standing with us, joining with us at Republican.org. Again, Republican.org forward slash join. 
That is where you go and get it done, Chelsea Henderson, because you will get your outstanding weekend review that comes out every single Friday. That's right. And, you know, I feel like I really just try to make it thoughtful. I try to make it funny sometimes. Um, So, yeah, you're missing out if you're not getting that, if I do say so myself. All right. Before we get out of here, who do we have here on the podcast next week? Very interesting story, Price. We are going to hear from Mark Midland, who works at Churchill Downs, the horse racing uh, venue in Kentucky that you are probably way more familiar with than I am, um, being the Kentucky aficionado that you are. And he's going to talk about some of the climate and extreme weather impacts on horse racing, at least um, horse racing in the South. So stay tuned, listeners. This is... um, Sports broadly is something that Price and I both love, first of all. And second of all, have um, would like to try to find some more guests to talk about, you know, different stadiums doing things with sustainability and and having to account for some of these like higher temperatures. So Mark had reached out to us. And um, so he's a member of our community. Super happy to have him on the show next week. Fun fact, you probably never knew about me that I have been to six Kentucky Derbies, <gasps> and I have done a radio show one time at Churchill Downs, Thank, uh, thanks to Darren Rogers, who's the uh, PR director at the racetrack at Churchill Downs. Darren um, had us there. We broadcasted uh, a radio show several years ago, and afterwards, he took us on a personal tour up uh, the Twin Spires and on top of Churchill Downs, so it was really cool. But it, it is a magical place to go see a horse race, but especially no more magical than on the first Saturday in May when it's the run for the roses. So I can't wait for this one next week. This is one that has me really jacked, not because it's sports, but a place that I know very, very well and is pretty dear to my heart because I love horse racing and I love Kentucky, as you just said. Well, listeners, tune in. And if you are somebody who works in this area, in you know whatever sport it is, at whatever level, it doesn't have to be national level. It could be collegiate. It could be high school. If you are a high school football coach and you're worried about your players in the August heat, give us a shout. We might have you on the show. You never know. Drop us a line. Anytime you've got ideas, suggestions, we want to hear from you. Chelsea at Republican.org. Um, we've got a lot more coming up for you this season. We're just getting off the ground on the Eco Right Speaks. Remember, a new episode every single Tuesday between now and the end of the year. We'll probably take a quick break here or there, uh, but it won't be for any prolonged period of time because we got a lot to do until we get to the end of 2022. But until then... We will talk to you next week, Chelsea, for another great interview episode. I can't wait to do it with you then. I'll see you then, Price. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 